It is um, week three of Advent. Twelve days till Christmas Eve. Twelve. Twelve days till Christmas Eve. And, and church tradition, one of the things of church tradition is that we have a, that the Advent wreath has been used. And I was thinking of this this morning, that I've come full circle in some things in my life. And part of this, I think, is maturity and wisdom. That, you know, I was raised in a church that had a lot of liturgy, and it really never meant anything. I really didn't know Jesus. And then I wandered from the faith, and then, because it wasn't real to me, and then I came to know Jesus. And I came to know Jesus in a church that had no church history or no traditions. Matter of fact, it was like tradition is bad. Tradition reminded so many people who are raised in tradition of the deadness that they experienced at one time, so we threw the baby out with the bathwater. But the longer I'm walking with the Lord and more I'm understanding the kingdom of God, I realize the benefit of tradition. Tradition's like an advent wreath. And I was thinking about that today, that one of the things that, that tradition does is that it brings, um, it brings steadiness. That in the midst of chaos... Um, it gives us stability. To understand that we're doing something with an Advent wreath that Christian people have been doing for centuries. And no matter what's come and gone in the world, you know, people are always like, oh, the world's coming to an end, you know, in every generation almost. And what's come up, what's come, what's come and gone, people have done tradition, and tradition keeps grounding us in the most important truth. And today, the tradition of of the Advent wreath helps ground us in the truth of, of, of what Christianity is all about. So, so for, for years and centuries, we had the Advent wreath, and they've had, as you've been talking about a week, four weeks leading up to, to um, Christmas, and that there are four different outside candles, and that the candles represent, the three purple ones represent attributes of, of Christ and Christianity, that the first week was hope, and the second week was peace, and the third week is love. Next week will be the, will be the pink candle, which, is, which talks about um, joy. It's pink and it's saying, Jesus is coming. And then the white candle is Christmas Eve saying, Jesus has arrived. And so today we come to the third candle. And the third candle is all about love. Now when you think of Chris, Christmas, I would think one of the words we'd think about is love. Maybe the greatest Christmas verse in all the Bible is a verse that you often don't think about when it comes to Christmas, but it's known as um, the most recognized Bible verse in all of all the Bible. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Christmas is all about love. For God so loved that he gave. Christianity is all about love. And what I love about the Christmas story is this, because it helps to rewrite our narratives about God, is that you can't find an angry, vengeful God in the Christmas story. A lot of people, that narrative of God, that's wrong. That God's the, you know, the, the angry guy in heaven with a stick looking to thump them if they do anything wrong. But the Christmas story, you can't find an angry, vengeful God. You find a God who loved. Loved so much that he came into our world to rescue us from our captivity to sin. The captivity to sin that leaves every single person, you know, hopeless and lost. And Jesus comes and he sets us free. The love that invites us into a life in the kingdom of God 
now. You see, the, the love of God in Christmas sets us free. It gives us eternal spiritual life as we believe in him. We put our whole trust in Jesus, in the Son of God. So Christmas is all about love, right? And my hope for this Christmas season is that we'd really respond to love this Christmas. We'd do what Suzanne led us to do in worship, and Andre connected with was the idea of just slowing down and thinking and being aware And we'd be aware of the love of God and we'd respond. And we'd respond this way. We'd respond by saying, you know what, Jesus? If all this is real, then I need you in the center of my life. And that we would evaluate. The thing that that things like tradition do is they, they come back and they remind us again of what's most important. And we'd be reminded again of what's most important. What's most important is that we would place the love of Christ at the center of our life. That we'd put loving Jesus as the most important thing that we could ever do. Do you want to have a a mission for 2021? A lot of times people say, what's my goal for the next year? Here's your goal. Let's learn to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And why do we do that? We do that in response to the love that he showed us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So week three of Advent, we remember love. Amen? That's what Christmas is all about. Well, hey, I want to bring Susie up right now. Does anybody else call you Susie? I'm the only one who gets to call you that, right? Your dad calls you Susie. So... We're going to do something together today, and the reason we're even doing this, what we're going to talk about today, is because of Suzanne, that she actually, uh, months and months ago in in our planning time in a staff meeting, she said, you know, I think we ought to talk about this particular thing um, at Christmas time. And so I looked at it, and we talked about it and thought about it, and I said, you know what, I think the best way to do that is if we do it together. I was telling somebody this morning, it's I said, whatever. happens when you bring suggestions? <laughs> it was, it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It no. was that I said to someone this morning, I said, whenever I have something that I really have substance to it, I need to bring in my wife. Yeah, because I'm not sure that's Because she's but... my, you know, Andre introduced his wife as his better half, and, and uh, we all know you're my better two-thirds, right? Not, not, <laughs> yes, so, it's, it's reversed, actually. But... So uh, we're the Mutual Admiration yeah. Society then. So Christmas. Um, Reminds us of something. This is what you brought up. Christmas reminds us of, of a pattern, of a reality that, um, as you were saying, and why we want to talk about it today, that if we don't understand this pattern or this reality that's revealed in Scripture, um, life won't make sense. Especially won't make sense in hard times. Exactly. And I think what we're going to talk about, we have all experienced over and over and over. If we're living, 20, we've experienced it. Right. In life, but but even just this year, um, having a lot of repetition of kind of these phases and stages, and you know, and we've talked about them before, you know, just kind of real briefly and quickly. But um, but hopefully, it's going to bring some clarity, you know, in, in being able to just live daily life. And you know, I saw a funny thing on Facebook. Maybe some of you saw it, and if you're not musical, you wouldn't get it. But it says, <laughs> "Are you saying it said, are you know, smarter than us?" 2020. And then 2021, and it had a music staff with the repeat sign. 
you know, like 2021 is going to be a repeat of 2020. No. And I'm like, dear Jesus, please, <laughs> please help that not to be the case. Not that everything bad, not that everything that's happened in 2020 is bad. No. But hopefully it's not a repeat. But if it is a repeat, then to have awareness and have that some, what we're going to talk about today understanding will help move will in help moving. you right. in those times of we're going to call them disorientation yep. in a minute. Yep. And so we're going to read the Christmas story because we're going to take an example out of the Christmas story, and then we're going to look at a lot of other sections, a lot of other examples in Scripture. And so Suzanne's going to read the Christmas story today, part of it from Matthew chapter one. Uh, verses 18 to 25. And so you can listen along or follow along, Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Okay, so verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Right. So, Christmas story, you can just kind of read over it and remember it and say, oh, I know that, but there's a pattern that is revealed here, and it's revealed over and over in Scripture, but, but when we talked about Suzanne said, the Christmas story shows this pattern so clearly. And the pattern that it shows is this. We're going to call it this. Um, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This pattern that goes on in our lives, and if you don't understand the pattern, when you go through, especially when you go through times of disorientation, um, you're going to be sidetracked, or you're going to be, could be just literally blown over, and I think this, or many things, but when you're, in, when you're in a time of orientation, you have the misbelief that's going to have, last forever. Right, because orientation is that place where everything is good and secure, and you kind of have your rhythm, right? Everything is just clipping along good, and you feel like, wow, I'm in a really good place. And then something, something happens. happens, and it's like you just totally got your swiped out from under you and you're disoriented like what just happened you know what where am I the things that that were holding you together and kind of in that pace of life they're not working now you know so let's look at this orientation disorientation reorientation we're going to then kind of look at we're just going to look at Mary and Joseph's life a few other people's lives and then talk about them in a little more depth and so Mary and Joseph look at the orientation now you were a, a young um engaged lady, what's it like to be, what's the orientation when you're the, the, the bride-to-be and what's that like? What's I've that season? Mr. Perfect and Mr. Wonderful, yes. my knight in shining armor, and he completes me, and all the things that are so strong in him, I'm weakened, so it's going to be awesome. Life's going to be perfect. Life is perfect, We're yes. going to have a fairy tale, yes. happily ever after. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's orientation. Mary and Joseph were in orientation. You know, oh, life is great. She's the best. She's perfect. 
oh, just imagine back then, everything, oh, we're going to have 50 kids and we're going to have all this stuff. And <laughs> that's disorientation now. <laughs> For you, it was. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but that orientation time of everything is good, everything is happy, we're positive, we're looking forward to the future, we have future dreams, you know, they're happy, they were engaged, everything was good. And then the shoe falls, the, the bomb drops. And what happens? You know, what happens? Um, yeah, all of a sudden, the future is not so bright, you know, right. like I'm pregnant. And although for Mary, you know, she knew it was a God encounter and this was where God was taking her. Yeah, but imagine um, Mary but in But she probably did not oh. understand the reaction from, I mean, she Well, she knew. was 13, 14, or 15 right. years old, and she finally found herself pregnant. Right. Never right. having been with a man. Yeah. There's some disorientation, even yeah. if you say, oh, God was in it. Right. What's mom and dad going to say? That's my point. My point is, even if you know that you know that God is He's bringing you to that season, the disorientation is still there. Still real. Because <laughs> there's still other variables that are at play in that. And so rejection from people and, you know, what are people thinking of me and how is this literally. Loss in your life. Yeah, you know, she's 13, 14. How am I going to raise a baby? You know? Yeah. So. so she went into the time of disorientation. You've got to be kidding me. And then we see in this scripture a time of reorientation. Reorientation is this. Your baby is going to be called Christ the Lord. Your baby is the Savior. And they get to understand this. We are part. We, and they both, the angel talked to, to both of them, and that we are part of God's eternal plan. We know God better now than we did before. We understand life now better than we did better than we did before. And I have a, a slide that I found that I think of a slide. Is that really old? A picture, a pic. So uh, can you read this? It was, we couldn't make a great picture of it. But so what it is, it's three camels. Well, I got to see it from here. Three camels. And it's our son is an honor student on the one on the left. And, then, and the next one is, our son is a me- in medical school, and then Mary's is, our son is God. You know, so, so this, um, that's reorientation. Mary didn't get that at first, but, it, but she's getting, our son is God. And this, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, and so, you know, we have the value of the hindsight and what's in Scripture. And I think one of the important things that we have to remember about these seasons that come, there's a quote about um, how all a deepened life in Christ is made through a deepened suffering. You know, we don't like that. But the only reason that we get to see, you know, make the joke about Mary riding a camel with our son as God is because she had to go through the, the hard stuff of the disorientation to get to the place of saying, I understand now. I understand what God was doing. I understand what the plan is. I understand that he will take care of him and protect him and protect us. And, you know, but it wasn't just... Matter of fact, without the disorientation, she never could have come to the better place of reorientation. Exactly. So let's... I I want to point out for something, or we want to point out something today, that this process of orientation, reorientation, disorientation. You could also use these terms, life, death, resurrection. That that process is a process that goes over and over in our lives and that God, if you look for it, shows it repeatedly in Scripture in in everybody almost that he deals with. You see the process 
of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. It's not some unusual thing. It is the norm of life. It's, it is life. And so think of, think of Peter um, for a moment. Here's Peter, and he's this fisherman who's just fishing, and one day Jesus comes by and says, come follow me, and he gets pulled in with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, be one of my disciples. Jesus goes away, prays, and picks 12, and he picks him, an uneducated fisherman. He goes, be one of my 12. And then they start, remember some of these arguments that the, the different disciples have. Who's greatest? Who's going to be his right hand? Who's going to be his left hand? They're in this period of time like, we're, we're riding with the guy who is the leader of the world. They think he's ushering in a political empire. We're on his right and his left. We're his guys. As a matter of fact, Peter, remember, he's one of the three taken to the Mount of Transfiguration. So he even leaves a, you know, nine of them behind. He is in the inner circle with God. With Jesus, he's the one who says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter is in this time of, of, of ultimate orientation. There's this new kingdom coming. I'm a leader. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you know what your new name is? You were a little pebble. Now you're a rock. So Peter's just like, this is awesome. I'm in the time of orientation. Well, what happens? All of a sudden, Jesus, after about three years, Peter's riding high. He goes, hey, Peter, guess what? Um, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. What's, remember, what was Peter's reaction? No, forbid it. That's never going to happen. Remember what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. Probably the hardest words ever spoken to a person. Because this guy's riding high. He's in total orientation. Everything's right up and to the right. And all of a sudden, get behind me, Satan. And Peter says, it's never going to happen. And Jesus calls him Satan, get behind me. And then, you know, they come to arrest Jesus. What's Peter do when they come to arrest Jesus? Pulls out his sword and whacks off the ear of the high priest. He's trying to chop off his head. He's in total disorientation. He's fighting to keep what he's always had, what he's had for three years. And he watched Jesus as Jesus is tried, Jesus is convicted. And while he's on trial, what happens? What happens three times? Peter denies him. Here's a guy. I'll die with you. And a little girl says, aren't you one of them Galileans? And he goes, I don't know who that man is. And it says he starts cursing. So understand, in disorientation, a lot of times your world comes unraveled, and you act a lot of ways that you don't want to act. And that's one of the, we're going to find out one of the good things of disorientation is it reveals the reality of where you're really at. You're going to say something. I was just going to say, um, yeah, just this example is a prime opportunity to just talk about how in orientation it's easy to equate how we are feeling with the goodness of God or with the blessing of God or his hand of movement. When you go into disorientation, if your relationship with God has been built on all emotion and feeling, then that's where a problem comes in. Because, because your world crumbles. Your world crumbles. So therefore, how can God be good? If I'm not feeling the blessing of God or you know, seeing what I want to see, then how can God still be good in this? And um, you know, one of the I've heard it said that one of the greatest idolatries of our time right now is the um, serving of or equating God with our feelings. That if we, if we feel that God is good, then he's good. If we feel that he's bad, then he's bad. Um, this is a, a perfect example of 
um, having to measure out our emotion and evaluate is, uh, is what I'm experiencing um, based on emotion or based on truth. Right. Make sense? So that's what's going on in Peter's life. Right. So he's, he's feeling his emotions. He's, he's, I'm, I'm super great one day. The next day I'm chopping off people's ears. I'm saying I'm denying Jesus. The emotions are out of whack. But then what happens? Mary comes running back one day. Mm-hmm. Jesus is dead. He's buried. Hey, guess what? I saw an angel at the tomb, and Jesus is alive. Mm-hmm. Remember, I think it's funny, Peter and John, they run to the tomb, and, and I love how it says, and, and Peter outran John to the tomb, you know, and they get to the tomb, and it's empty. And then he has an encounter. And maybe the best encounter is when one day they're fishing, right after Jesus is alive, and he see, they see this guy in the, in the shore, and they don't know who it is, and, and he says, hey, cast the net on the other side of the boat, and he does, and it's full of fish after fishing all night and catching nothing. He realizes, I've been through this before. That happened in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes, it's Jesus. And it's kind of funny because it does the opposite of what we do. It says he puts his clothes back on and he jumps in the water. <laughs> so he was stripped for fishing and he puts his garments back on. He jumps in the water. He swims to Jesus. Remember, they drag up a bunch of fish on the shore. And he sees Jesus and Jesus takes him aside and three times says to him, Peter, do you love me? feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so suddenly, Peter goes from this disorientation to reintroduction and being launched, literally, because Peter becomes the leader of the church, feeding the sheep of God, protecting the lambs of God. And what happened? It happened because he went through disorientation, and out of his disorientation, he was reorientated to a better understanding of who Jesus was, and about a better understanding of his life. And this pattern of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, it happens over and over in Scripture. Think of Job. Here's a guy, Job, flying high. He's got everything. He's the most blessed man on the planet. He's got a beautiful family. He's got tons of animals. He's got, everybody loves him. He's sacrificing to God just in case his kids screwed up and they don't know it is what it says. Maybe they did something wrong and they don't even know it. And he's sacrificing. Everything's going great. Totally blessed. Rich, happy, fulfilled. And all of a sudden, Satan enters the picture and says, well, consider Job. And God says, well, guess what? Job will serve me no matter what. No matter what disorientation you bring into his life, he'll serve me. And all the disorientation in the world comes. His family's all killed except for his wife. Um, he, he loses all of his property. He loses all of his money. He loses his health. He's scraping boils off his body with broken pot shards sitting in a heap of ashes and his wonderful three friends come and say, oh, Job, what did you do wrong? He's like, nothing. What, oh, yeah, Job, this is the curse of God. Job's counselors should have just sat with them in the moment. They didn't just sit with them. Want a, want a lesson to be learned when somebody's in disorientation? Don't have the answers because you don't get it and I don't get it. The longer I live, the less I say when a person's in disorientation. And I just usually say, I'm sorry. Can I pray with you? Because Job's counselors are what we normally do, especially in our, in, our, let me say this, in our immaturity. We think we know everything. We think that things always make sense. And here's the thing about disorientation. They don't make sense to us. And Job is in a total disorientation to the point that his lovely wife looks at him and says, what does his wife say to him? Curse God and God die, Job. Just curse God and die. Everything gone. And then God comes and talks to him. 
And God, I, I think Job is hilarious because God is not the pretty little picture of God that we have walking around carrying sheep and petting lambs. He's like, almost like taunting him. Like, who do you think you are, Job? Where were you when I made the oceans? Where were you when I made the Leviathan, the sea monster in the ocean? Where were you? How do you, what do you know? And he basically shows Job, you know nothing. And it says this about Job. At the very end, I think chapter 42, Job says this. Basically this, before I, 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 I knew about God, but now I've seen him. He went to a place of reorientation. Where his, well, now he said, God's just not some hypothetical idea to me. I've walked with God. I've wrestled with God. I know God. He says, now I know God. I know him on a different level. If you ask Job, would you go back? He'd say, I don't want to, do I want to go through the, the, the disorientation? No. But are you glad for what happened in disorientation? He'd say, absolutely. And in Job's case, it doesn't always happen this way. In Job's case, God then brought him back into to, to or, a great time of orientation of, of great blessing again. One more example before we actually dig into a little deeper. How about Jesus? He starts off. Hey, Jesus, uh, we're at a party, a wedding. The, wine, the, the wine's run out. Hey, woman, it's not my time yet. Listen, I'm your mama. You do what I tell you. Okay, do whatever he says. He turns multiple big pitchers of water into wine. It's the first miracle. He goes on for a three-year time of healing everywhere he goes and, and preaching and massive crowds following and people cheering him. People literally having a, a parade for him to come into Jerusalem. It's orientation. It's everything's going great. But it didn't last, did it? Jesus starts saying some hard things at the end of his ministry. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Remember what I said the people did? It said almost everybody left him and stopped following him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? His little band of 12. And they go, where we can go? Where could we go? You have the words of life. Disorientation. He's arrested. He's tried into false trial. He's crucified and on the cross. Maybe the hardest thing that's ever been experienced by any person in all humanity. He hangs on that cross and what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's alone. God, the creator of the universe, come as a man, is alone, hanging between heaven and earth, suffering and dying. He looks to his Father and he's always felt his presence. And he says, because he's part of the Trinity. He left the glory of the Trinity. Now he's hanging on the cross, naked and beaten and half, almost dead. He says, my God, my God. God, even you're gone. The ultimate in disorientation. And they take him and he dies and they stab him in the side and they bury him in a borrowed tomb. But the power of God. They raise him up. And Jesus is alive. And he's, and he's going and he's visiting people and he's what's ultimately happened in the ascension. He's reunited in the fullness of the Trinity. All that was emptied of him was now returned, the great kenosis, the emptying of himself that we talked about a few weeks ago in Philippians. Suddenly that's reversed and he's back in the Trinity in all of his glory. Reorientation. 
this pattern, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, this pattern is life. And if we don't understand it, life won't make sense. And it gives purpose to the seasons of difficulty and disorientation for us. It helps us say that 2020 wasn't just a fluke. And that God, this is what people are saying. It's why churches are emptied out. They're saying, God, where are you? You're not even real. Look, at I'm in disorientation. Everything was going great. Every, I, was, I was rich and well-fed and in need of nothing. I had everything. Everything was happy. And all that happened, all of a sudden, boom, the bottom fell out. And disorientation is shaking people up. And they go, I don't want anything to even do with this anymore. And they're walking away. Why? Because they're in a season of disorientation. But disorientation has a purpose. Orientation, you know, life is up and to the, to the right. I want to... We, we say we love to live there, but orientation doesn't happen. Disorientation always happens. COVID, job loss, sickness, everything. It, it's, it is life. But disorientation has a purpose. Disorientation has a purpose. Things die off in disorientation. You know, and we can look at the, the scriptural examples, you know, that, that we just talked about and go, wow. Like, think about the really... Uh, life-changing, history-changing, profound things that have happened in the lives of Mary and Joseph and Peter and Jesus and Job. It, because we can sit and look at the story um, in writing. You know, we, we get the hindsight again. Um, but the thing that, if we're going to apply it to ourselves, one of the things we need to remember is that things just as profound happen in us. That it's not just something that happens in scripture, it's if we allow ourselves and, and choose to walk through these the orientation, disorientation, that there is going to be a reorientation that's really profound and we learn a lot and we're different people in Christ because of, and of that. It's not just here. The promise here. of Christianity, if you want to use orientation, disorientation, reorientation, or life, death, resurrection, the promise is when there's death, there's always resurrection. That's, what, that's what's being pointed out here. That disorientation has a purpose. But God, after death, always comes resurrection. For the Christian, ultimately, after physical death, comes resurrection. New bodies, we talked about a couple weeks ago, new spiritual bodies in a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. There is always the promise of reorientation, of resurrection in the Christian life, but we only learn the things we're going to learn. The deep things we learn, the things that cause us to stand firm, only are learned in disorientation. We do not learn what we need to learn in orientation when everything is going great. We become the people God wants us to become in disorientation. There's no other way to learn. Why? Because you, you mentioned this earlier, our idolatries need to die. John of the Cross... Who, taught, who writes about? Who wrote about the the dark the dark night of the soul? He was a guy who just wrote. He's probably the best person at understanding disorientation. He wrote this: Our idolatries about who God is get torn apart in suffering. That when we suffer, when we go through disorientation, the idolatries because the idolatries are oh you're just. If you just serve God, everything always goes good and everything turns out and everything's wonderful. That's an idolatry. An idolatry is any false God you worship other than the truth. 
The truth is that's not all the picture painted in Scripture of when you work with God, walk with God, everything goes good. We just looked at just a couple of people, Mary and Joseph, Peter, Job, Jesus. The story's over and over and over in Scripture, this idea of life, death, resurrection, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and that's the reality. And what happens is that idol that we have of the false view of God, the false narratives we believe, suddenly they don't hold water anymore. We go, okay, what I believe isn't real. What should I believe? What is real? And then you you start looking and you go, oh, wait a minute here. You dig in Scripture and you see a Peter who's gone through everything and you go, and that guy who rejected God, who chopped off ears in disorientation because he was so, by the way, don't get so upset with people in disorientation. Peter chopped off people's ears and denied Jesus in disorientation. But then he becomes the rock. Jesus is prophesying about him. You're the rock. He wasn't yet, but you're the rock. And he becomes the pillar of the church. Why? Because his false views of God, his idols were torn down in disorientation. And then that Job is maybe the clearest picture. We see that picture of who, of he sees who God really is. He's like, now he's just this awe-inspiring view of God who created everything, who's so unimaginably huge that his little tiny boxes he had before, of, oh, he's just the God who blesses me. Suddenly he doesn't see himself as all that important and he's just a speck in this enormity of God. And now he's overwhelmed and amazed that God, that God, would know my name. Then he really knows God. So we grow in disorientation. We were listening to a podcast about, and it was, and he was talking about this idea of disorientation in the podcast from from Pete Scazzaro. And he said there were some things we should do in disorientation because some of us in here right now are feeling disorientated. And Pete said there's some things we should do in disorientation. I think they said there was, what, three phrases or something. What, what were yeah. those? Yeah, um, the first one is pay attention to your feelings, you know, and what's going on on the inside. Because um, you might feel like cutting somebody's ear off? I was going to say, because it, like in this example, like in, in the scripture we've looked at, you know, the Joseph's initial reaction was like, I'm just going to put her away and I'm done. And Peter's like, yep, I'm going to lop the ear off, or he probably really wanted to kill somebody, not just lop the ear off. That was probably just the, you know, bad aim or whatever. But lop the ear off, you know. Job, in all of it, you know, he sat and he he was kind at least. You know, we don't really see any huge acting out. Um, But inside, he had to sit there and listen and listen and listen and listen to these people, you know, that were negative toward him. And so for all of us, in the real world now, to sit and pay attention to, like, what's going on. Because how many of you know the easiest thing to do is to just brush it aside and be like, "Mm, I don't need to deal with it. Like, it's so much easier to see somebody else (laughs) and their issues than to sit and, and really say, boy, like, why am I feeling agitated? Why am I feeling frustrated? Why am I feeling hopeless? Because usually your body... Yep. is the best indicator of what's really going on. A lot of times our body knows what's going on with us mm-hmm. before we get it. When you're feeling that tightness in your chest and you're feeling that anxiety level and you can't sleep at night. And you're not, and yep, just, you're not sleeping. You're, and you're fighting with your wife. You're chopping off her ears. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. you know um, mm-hmm. then, yeah. if anybody comes with one ear next week, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> um, 
But pay attention to that right. and go, okay, whoa, 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 wait. Am I, am I in disorientation? Right. Because here's the deal. You're, the reason you're paying attention is it's helping you identify what's going on. If you can identify it, then you can deal with it. Right. If, you, if you feel like everything's chaos and it doesn't make any sense and there can't be any purpose in it, then you implode and you collapse and you give up all those things. Mm-hmm. But if you can feel it and go, wait a minute, what am I feeling here? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm just feeling really disorientated right now. You go, well, wait a minute. I think I've, I think I've seen that in Scripture. Yep. So we yeah. feel it. So we we pay attention it. to what we're feeling because our feelings are good indicators of what's really going on. Right. And we're good fakers. Yes. Especially yes. men. We, oh, women, we stuff it. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, like, uh, everything about you tells me you're not fine, but you're telling me you're fine. You know, all your body language, your anxiety level, you keep belching when we're talking because you're acid. You know what? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're not fine. Right. Well, we have to admit that to be able to say, oh, wait a minute. I'm in a time of disorientation. Yeah. So, and, and then to move on from being able to identify the feelings to then bringing them before the Lord and waiting on God. And, you know, in that, in the disorientation is kind of um, called the, the confusing in between, you know, but that you're waiting on God. And here is my tendency is I want to rush it. Like, I want to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to set this time aside. You know, I have today. I'm going to set this X amount of time aside. I'm going to bring this before the Lord and it's going to be done. <laughs> Who knows? It doesn't always happen that quickly. 2020 right? keeps going on. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, so really. Remember what I did? A, I did a, um, when we shirt first time we had to close down church for a week, and I did a, a Facebook podcast to all the church mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, we'll be back in two weeks, and it'll all be over." Yeah, three months later. <laughs> uh, that was in March. And so, so uh, the other key is, you know, waiting with God. Don't rush it and don't fix it, because we what we're longing for is for Him to be the the fixer and the reorientator. Not for us to do the same thing we've been doing over and over again and just trying to fix it ourselves and tell ourselves what we need to tell ourselves so that we get back to this place of what we think is a better orient- reorientation. Which is just survival. Right. We can get back. We can fool ourselves. If we don't sit with the Lord and give the Lord a chance mm-hmm. to open up our hearts to his activity, we can just get to the place that we can function again. Mm-hmm. And we start functioning. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in orientation again. Well, really, we're in disorientation and we're just faking it, and we're faking it, and then we say, people go, oh, wow, that's Christianity? You know, just mm-hmm. low-functioning, low... It's because we're not, God, we're not inviting God in to bring the, the healing and the help into disorientation. Yeah. But we have to admit it. It's okay to be in disorientation. Right. It happened to Jesus, yeah. you know? And, and if we want, you know, that same um, profound change at the end of the disorientation that we see lived out in different people throughout scripture, then it's going to require waiting and it's going to require kind of facing that hard stuff that the Lord shows us in the time of disorientation. You know, um, I just remember one season in my life where the Lord was like, you know, the reason you're feeling disoriented here is because you literally think that your life is going to be secure and stable because you have these people in your life. And right now, every one of those people on your list are having some major issue. And you're like, I was feeling completely disoriented, but it was the time that the Lord showed me I wasn't trusting him, that I had put my security in somebody and and people that were 
that all of us are going to die and all of us are going to have issues and all of us are going to fail. And I had to, I had to figure out. That Mark's not going to be here one of these days. Right. You know, but I had to say, okay, then Lord, are you enough? And I had to work through that. That didn't happen in an hour and it didn't happen in a day and it didn't even happen in a year. It took a long time. But at the end of the disorientation, when I under, because at that time I didn't, I couldn't even really put words to what was happening. But when you understand what's happening, you look back and you're like, wow, thank you, Lord, because I didn't know that I, was, I wasn't in that place of really um, complete surrender to him and, compl- and complete um, trust in him. I thought I did. But it took, like, these events all happening at one time for, that, for him to bring that to light. And it takes, for me, it took over a year, you know, to bring that truth. And so, so, so wait, wait, on waiting God. on it and Joel. trying not to fix it is a sure. challenge. But that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah. So hopefully it can, when, when you're in it, you can find it. Pay attention to yeah. your feelings. Wait on God in the confusing in between. Mm-hmm. And then he said there was one more. And then, after you're waiting and waiting, then let the, the old, that disorientation, give way to new life and birth of what he has for you in that next season of orientation. Because, you know, like I just talked about, when I had worked through some disorientation, that freedom that came and that life that came, when I was like, oh... So I don't have to worry, and I don't have the same anxiety, and I have a different understanding of who God is. You know, that only came as as I, I sat through it and worked through it and said, okay, let it give way to that life and that newness in your walk with the Lord. And again, these aren't like three, like you're going to sit down in an hour and do it. Yeah. But to be aware <laughs> you know, of this process is what helps process. you process through disorientation. And yeah. a lot of times we don't have, we don't have any say-so. In fact, we have way less say-so than we think we do. Mm-hmm. But we don't really have any say-so mm-hmm. in how, when that time will end. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can be aware of what's going on so that when it's time for God to birth something new, and that birthing new doesn't mean everything suddenly gets better. No. Um, it just mm-hmm. means that now you see God differently. Mm-hmm. You have a better, richer walk with him a more, a more robust um, trust in him and understanding that Job, now I see the immensity of God. Right. And now I understand that he knows my name. It's that you know? deepened relationship. Yeah, that, that relationship comes, goes yeah. deeper. And that's what the reorientation is all about. Right. Mary could say um, on, the, on her bumper sticker, uh, my baby is God. Um, and she really got that. So she got that. Remember, again, Jesus' first miracle. Who, who forced Jesus' hand? Mary. He said, hey, uh, woman, it's not my time. Just do what I tell you to do. Good Jewish mom, right? Good Jewish kid. But then on the cross, she understands who he is, and he appears to her after he raises from the dead. You know, she's like, you know, my son is God, is Messiah. She gets it different. You enter into new understandings in reorientation. Our small and immature ideas about God are replaced with more robust understandings of God. You know, Job's, now I know God. There's a depth that comes. We become the better version of ourself that we're supposed to become. That God, remember, God has a view of you and a picture of you that's way better than you think could ever imagine for yourself. More than you can imagine or think. And you become more developed into that 
version of yourself that God always intended for you to be. But the thing is, you only learn it through suffering. And understand, you're not alone. It's Jesus, it says, learned through suffering. And so if he learned through suffering, we learn through suffering. So we want to wrap up. We've gone a little bit over. We should. That's because there's two of us talking. I got a little preachy in there for a while. Is that all right? Um, with some questions for us to think about. Okay? For you to think about closing questions. And we're just going to just say these. Maybe write them down. And then sit with them. Um, today, tomorrow, for the next month. Number one, where are you at today? Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And, you know, I think there's a sense where sometimes we're, in, we're, we're kind of in even two places at one time. I think this process goes through. But as a whole in your life, where are you at right now? Are you at time of orientation, disorientation, reorientation? If you're in disorientation, this is the question I want you to ask yourself. What is God trying to cause to die off? Ask the Lord to show you. What idolatries do you have? What an idolatry, false views of God. Idolatries, things that you love more than God. Because here's the deal. He's always dealing with that. You've, none of us have arrived. We're in a process of growth and maturity. There's always more things that have to die off in my life. In the season of disorientation you're in, what is God wanting to bless you with by causing to die. Because when it dies in your life, it's a gift. So what does he want to die off in your life? And the last question, um, what things, new things, is God inviting you into? Ask him, God, so what are you, what's in the reorientation, in the resurrection? What are you, what's, What's better? What's new? What's my better understanding? What's my richer belief? You know, what are you trying to reveal to me? What new things, God, are you inviting me into in, as a result of what died in, in disorientation? So imagine this. God is shaking up everything we know in the world right now. He's sure he's shaking up everything we know about the church world. He's shaking up everything we know about, about everything. A lot of you work from home now. Everything's changed. Your kids stay home instead of going to school for a while. You know, we're living in this total time of shaken disorientation. You know, we stood there eight months ago putting out videos going, well, in two weeks we'll be back and everything's going to be normal. It's not. But here's the deal. Globally, God's doing that. And with this process, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, what amazing new things is God got in store for his church? What amazing new revelations of, of new life does God have available to us? What is, he, what is he stripping away from us now so that we can enter into then? Ask God to begin to show you what, what are you doing? What are you inviting me into? And I believe as we sit with that, he'll begin to show us what he wants. So where are you at today? If you're in disorientation, what does God want to die off? And I'm telling you, stop fighting it. The longer you fight what he's trying to kill, the more painful it will be, and you're not going to win. He'll just take you around the mountain again, and take you around the mountain again, and take you around the mountain again, because he loves you that much. He's not going to let you live in, 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 in unhealth. And then uh, what new things is God inviting you into? So orientation, disorientation, reorientation. It simply is life. 
It's the, it is the reality of life. So for, that, for the, the lie of the, of the hyper-faith kind of Christian thing that's in, entered into so much of American Christianity that just says, just serve God and you'll have your best life ever. Everything will be good. Baloney. Your best life ever comes through going through times of disorientation. Disorientation's a gift to give us something better, to strip off things that are holding us back. And ultimately, life is that. Ultimately, the stripping away of this tent. That's what Paul calls it, a temporary tent. So that we have eternity with a new, in new heaven and new earth with a new body. The ultimate stripping away of giving us something great and wonderful and eternal and blessed. That makes sense? Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for showing us this from Scripture. Thank you for showing us this pattern that's repeated in all these different lives over and over and is going on in all of our lives right now. And Lord, this is what we ask. We can, we can unpack it. We can reveal it. We can talk about it. But Lord, I want us to experience it. Holy Spirit, give us the gift of helping us see individually where we're all at right now and corporately where we're at. Help us to be patient with one another, especially in a huge time of corporate disorientation. Give us the wisdom to not lop off each other's ears. To not deny the love we have for our Savior, for other people. Help us not to to act out of feelings in a way that could cause damage or harm. Instead, teach us to sit with you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our souls today. Heal our souls. Comfort us in disorientation. Thank you for the gift of your word that shows us that in disorientation, that never means you abandoned us. It just means you have something better for us. Lord, I pray for every person in this place. That as we walk through this life with you, that Lord, you would always take us to new places of greater revelation of you of dying away of false little tiny beliefs that are limiting. And every single person in this place, every person watching on online would experience you and your greater goodness from glory to glory as we continue to walk and continue to grow and continue to develop. So bless everyone, I pray. Let your goodness rest upon us in Jesus' name.